to raise our voices up, to, to be in your presence, to, to fellowship as, as um, the body of Christ. And I, I pray that you would be with us this morning. I pray that you'd be with the folks who are at home and can't be with us physically. Um, I pray that you would be with, uh, with those who are um, just all over, all over the country who are, are maybe tuning in and watching the sermon stream. I pray that they would hear the gospel this morning, that they would know you, that they would know you um, intimately, that they would know your son. Um, and be saved through him. I, I pray for your grace and your spirit to move in what uh, I say this morning. I pray that, that it wouldn't be me speaking, but your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Um, I, when I was in college, I, uh, our, our, uh, I think it was our soccer team, our girls' soccer team, if I remember right. But it's been so many years I can barely remember, and I don't like sports. So I never attended, I mean, like, in all of my years of schooling, including high school, I never attended a single sporting event. Um, and so then, uh, in fact, actually, I was in the grocery store yesterday, and somebody, there are a couple of guys having uh, a disagreement about a, a sports question, and I kind of was like, wait a minute, what are you guys arguing about? Oh, yeah, I got, I got no opinion. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, in fact, the only reason I ever bring up college sports is to make fun of one team or another so that the people who are watching who support that team will be irked a little. Or entertained. Um, <laughs> the, uh, but I never attended a single sporting event. And I remember, I believe it, it may have been our girls' volleyball team or our girls' soccer team. But one of them won some private college uh, championship. Um, it might have been like Midwestern Christian schools, you know, with a non-smoking section or something like that. But but they, they won one of these competitions. And I remember... Um, all of these folks real excited about it and real, like, they were very celebratory and they were, you know, and you would hear people say, oh, we won the state championship or we won this division. And, and I always thought that was interesting because, like, I never said that because, like, I, I, had I tried out for the girls' soccer team, I, I wouldn't have been eligible and I probably wouldn't have been good enough. Um, I, there was no we involved. These other people went out and won, but for some reason it was our victory. Um, the same is the case in a lot of things. Like we, we say, oh, well, we won this. You know, I, I talk with a lot of history uh, nerds, and we talk about how we won the battle of this. You know, we, we won the Spanish-American War. Well, no, we didn't. You know, our country did, and other people who went out and fought on my behalf did, but I didn't. Um, as we're diving into our new series, we're going to be working through the Psalms for a few weeks. Uh, some of you guys remember one of my life goals is to preach every Psalm before I retire. So that is, that is a goal. And so you guys are stuck with it. Um, unless you decide to not show up these weeks, and I don't recommend that. Um, and so we're, we're jumping into the Psalms for a few weeks so I can kind of cover some, some Psalms. And also because, and I remembered this late, um, I, I broke off last summer's series in an awkward place, and I really want to do Psalm 21 and Psalm 22 um, here in the beginning of summer because, I, because it's important um, and because it's actually a great part of the book. Um, what's going on in Psalm 20, this is a series of psalms called the Royal Psalms, and they're all psalms related to the king at the time. Right, And so, um, specifically, Psalm 20 and Psalm 21 are asking for God to intervene and save the king in some difficult situation. 
right? Um, and um, the king, we don't know what the difficult situation is. It seems to be a military thing uh, where, where there's a fight going on and the king doesn't think they're going to be able to pull through it and they need God to deliver them because they aren't like mighty enough to win this battle. Um, and, and as we dive into this one, um, this is the king thanking God for the assurance of a victory. And we don't know exactly why David, it's a psalm of David, so we assume that this is David speaking. David may have gotten word from Nathan that God was going to deliver him. Um, we know that David never was utterly defeated in battle, like that he was a pretty pretty dominant general in his army, did some pretty awesome stuff. And so, like, as David does this, like, he's thanking God for a victory that's about to come. Um, the previous psalm, Psalm 20, is about David. And it's where the people are approaching God and saying, God, deliver our king, you know, and, and take care of him, do this, do that. It's a real short one. You could probably read it later on today and, and enjoy it. Um, but as we dive into 21, um, they're connected. And actually, Psalm 20, 21, and 22 are all connected. And they're connected for a very weird reason. Psalms was written, and then many years later, all of these psalms were combined into, these, into this book, right? It's not like David sat down and said, I'm going to write 150 songs into a book. He, he didn't do that. He wrote them over the course of his life, and we're able to connect some of them with parts of his life. And actually, some of them he probably didn't write like they were after he was dead, but they were all combined later, and um, they were organized in a way that sort of makes sense. And there are books in the Psalms, within the Psalms. Um, we're not going to get into all of that detail today. Just understand, um, 20, 21, and 22 are royal Psalms, and they all interlink. How do we know that they interlink? Well, um, if we read the end of Psalm 22, 9, or Psalm 22, which is verse 9, O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. And then we jump into Psalm 21, 1, and it is, O Lord, in your king, in your strength, the king rejoices. And your salvation, how greatly he exalts. Um, the use of the word king and in the next line, king, almost always implies that, you know, there's some sort of connection. Got it? Like in Hebrew literature, like you would be hard-pressed to find examples where the repetition of words is not on purpose. Um, and there's actually a lot of repetition of words and phrases between these two psalms, though they are separate. Um, so we know that there's an intentional connection here. Um, but in the previous one, it's God deliver the king. And in this one, it is um, in your strength, the king rejoices and in your salvation, how greatly he exalts, meaning he's already gotten either victory or good news that he's going to receive victory and he's celebrating. Um, all right. Anybody have an NIV Bible? Anybody following along with their Bible? If you're at home, raise your hand. Um, the NIV does something really funny here, and we're in the English Standard Version um, because of this. The word salvation here is the generally understood meaning of this term. The NIV translates it victory, right? That's kind of weird. Um, in your victory, how great he exalts. And the reason the NIV does that is because the, the guys who translated the NIV looked at this series of Psalms, 20, 21, and 22, and assumed, like made the decision that these are about Christ. And like they almost 
certainly, well, no, not almost certainly, they just are, especially Psalm 22, which is a pivotal psalm in relation to the story of the cross, right? Um, And so, like, we know these are connected, and so they looked at it and they said, oh, well, if the king is Jesus, and it's in his salvation, how greatly he exalts, well, that doesn't make sense. Jesus wouldn't rejoice in the salvation provided by another. He would rejoice in the salvation that he provides. And so um, it has to be victory because both are acceptable translations, but salvation is the more obvious meaning. Now watch this. Anybody ever watch a sermon on David and Goliath? Anybody ever? Like, are you, <laughs> are you laughing? There is a very popular trend in preaching right now where people will talk about David and Goliath and they will say, now you're facing problems in your life and you just need to be like David, stepping up and you know, trusting in God to fight the enemy in front of you. And it is the worst way to read that, that story because it's not about you. In reality, we are all the Israelites hiding in the camp, cowering in fear, while Jesus goes out and fights our great enemy, right? And our great enemy is like our own sin and the death that we have coming as a result. Now, we're going to read this thinking that the king is David and God is providing salvation and that this is pointing forward to the next psalm. Okay? You all with me? It's going to make sense. I know I'm sort of running around in circles right now, but it's going to make sense. Just watch. Um, So, O Lord, in your strength, the king rejoices, meaning David is happy that you are strong. And in your salvation, how great he exalts, meaning God has saved him. And in us, guys, um, I am joyful that that God is strong, right? There is nothing I can worry about in life that God cannot manage, right? I might worry about money. I might worry about my kids. I might worry about... Health. I might worry about, you know, what's going to happen with the economy next year or, or, you know, am I going to be able to, um, you know, am I going to be able to buy beef or is it going to be too expensive in a couple months? Or, you know, are there going to be food shortages or, you know, what if it doesn't rain for the next four months? That would be a disaster. Or what if, what if, what if, what if? But at the end of the day, like, God's got it, right? Like, God is that in control and I can be grateful. But even more so, when I back up and I think about my like my screw-ups. Um, when I am driving down the road, my mind is wandering, and that awful sin I committed on this day in this place comes to mind. And I got about a half a dozen that I remember really well that, that pop up. Anybody have that? Is it just me? <laughs> okay, I have one low hand. Um, <laughs> you and me were sinners. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> the... But, like, God provides me salvation. And so I can know that no matter how great my sin is, no matter how bad I manage to be, no matter how ugly and nasty my enemy is, and in this case the enemy is my own past and my own actions and my own heart, in David's case it was the Philistines or the Egyptians or whoever, um, but the, I can rejoice that God is taking care of me. And so we have a future application and a David application. David's grateful that God is protecting him from his enemies. I'm grateful that God's protecting me from me. Um, so it goes on. And the next few verses are all about like the blessing that the king 
like enjoys. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. Selah. And Selah is like a is like a musical term that doesn't get translated because like we don't really know what it means. Um, you've given him his heart's desire and you have not withheld the request of his lips. Now watch this. Part of what's happening here is his heart and his mouth match. You all ever know someone like that who doesn't manage that? Like... <laughs> You know, well, they say one thing, but they mean another. You know, I, every parent in the room, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry I hit you. No, you're not. Like, I'm sorry I, it's just not, you know. Um, but in this case, David is a man of integrity, and his heart and his words, his heart and his prayer match. Um, there are times where we repent, but we repent with our mouth, but not with our heart. There are times when we claim Christ as Lord with our lips, but not with our heart. Where we say, this is what I believe, but how I live is different. Um, and with my heart's desire, meaning like I come to God with my heart's desire and I request it with my mouth, like as, a, as a, an act of integrity, God hears it. God responds to those prayers. If I approach God with a heart that's deceitful and I say what I want without my heart reflecting it, like God knows, like he weighs me out, he knows. Um, but in this case, David is asking, God, deliver us. And God has given it to him. For you meet him with rich blessings, and you set a crown of fine gold upon his head. Now, watch this. The crown of fine gold, you think, David, so the crown must be the kingship. That's actually not what that means. The word crown of fine gold means, like, um, it would be, the word specifically isn't like a, like a kingly crown. It's a wreath of, like... Um, you know, made out of gold, but it would be like a, you see them, I don't know, anybody ever eaten Little Caesar's pizza? You know, the Little Caesar's guy has that half little wreath of leaves around his head? That's that. And it was often the case that if you won a victory um, as a show of honor, or if you were a guest as a show of honor, they would give you this temporary little crown you would wear, um, like at a, if you were a guest at a banquet. And like, so God has given him this crown of fine gold, meaning this like show of honor and love. He's given it to him, not rulership, but honor. God has honored him with something that doesn't go away. If I make my daughter a little wreath of flowers and I put it on her hair, she would look gorgeous, right? She would look gorgeous without it. But if I gave that to her, that little crown would last just as long as it took for the flowers to wilt or for her to lose it, which is probably much faster, Um, or for her brother to pull it off and break it, which is probably even faster. Um, but like, it's not a crown that goes away. It's a show of honor and respect and love that is permanent. He asked life of you. You gave it to him length of days forever and ever. Now in David's respect, like if we're saying this is about David is God has given him survival. He has given him a long life. But if we look at this as a double application kind of Psalm, I I'm given a gift from God I don't deserve. I'm given an honor I don't deserve. I am, I am, I am like an Olympic champion at screwing up, right? Like I have a real knack for sin. Um, and despite my unfaithful heart, despite my, my broken state, God has honored me with salvation. God has honored me with the blood of his son poured out for me. Right? Like he's put something on my head that I don't deserve. 
you know, where Christ got the crown of thorns, I get a crown of, of, of gold, and I don't deserve it. I'm adopted into his family as a son, and I don't deserve it. I'm given life that I don't deserve. Length of days forever and ever, meaning that, like, because Christ died for me and because he was raised, I, I know I have forever and ever. Like, I, I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. Nothing. But I'm given a victory. I'm given, actually, a salvation. Sorry. I almost went on IV on you guys. Um, <laughs> that was a weird thing to say. Um, I'm given a salvation I don't deserve. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. Now, here again, the NIV would say, his glory is great through your victory. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. Because they assume that it means Christ. But in reality, um, I'm glorified because Christ died for me. Christ is glorified by the salvation he gives. But I am lifted up out of the mud, cleaned off, made acceptable to God, clothed in the righteousness of Christ because of the salvation he provides. Because I'm given this gift I, I don't deserve. Um, for you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. Um, and so, like, I am most ble- blessed forever. I am made glad because I am in his presence. Like, the joy I have in life is as a result of Christ's death for me. Um, Now watch this. The first verse was a standalone. This three through six is a clause that is all praise. The seventh is a standalone again. It is the midpoint. Because everything up until this point is praise. And then this. And then everything is about the enemy after that. Okay? Uh, That's where the psalm sort of shifts into bare knuckle boxing. Um, for the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. So the king trusts in the Lord, meaning like David trusted in God, and God's steadfast love that never, ever goes away kept David planted in place as king. In my case, I'm no king, but I trust in God, and God is steadfast in his love for me, and I'm safe. I'm tucked away into a safe spot. Like, I can't get knocked down. I can't get beaten. I can't get pushed over. I can't anything, like, because God is protecting me. Not because I'm awesome. Not because I win victories. Not because I'm, you know, willing to sacrifice and, you know, give a seed offering or whatever nonsense, like, is out there. Like, but because God loves me and my faith is enough to save me. Like, because Christ died for those who would trust in him. Those who would have faith in him. I'm going to open my Diet Coke here. Sorry, guys. My mouth is getting dry. Product placement. So we're on the Internet now. i got to make sure we get our... (laughs) Um, So in verse 8, we move into this, like, the, the fighting part, okay? Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. Now... We go from salvation for those who have faith in Christ to God will find those who are his enemies. God will find those who hate him. Now, by our natural state, um, by our natural form, we are born in sin. Like, and sin makes us God's enemies. 
It is only through Christ that we shift that position. Our hearts naturally despise God and his laws. Um, And we despise God and his laws because, like, honestly, most of us are pretty sure we should get whatever we want, whenever we want, and everybody should look at us like God, right? And that's basically what Adam did, right? Oh, well, I can be like God. Let's do that. And that's the natural state of man is God's enemies. But when we were his enemies, as Paul said, Christ died for us. It's how we know what love is. When we were still dead in our trespasses and sins, when we were still God's enemies, he died for us. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up with his wrath and fire will consume them. Now watch this. Blazing oven. The word there is, um, is like a brick oven or a kiln. Right, And this is a word that's used over and over and over again in the scriptures. Um, we see it in relation to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Like this oven word. Like, and it's a reference to the fact that like fire basically rained down on them. And um, God's judgment came on them. And God's judgment is a, is a burning fire, right? Um, a ring of fire, if you will. Um, <laughs> because... That was a good pause right there, and thank you for the amen. Because um, God's holiness is consuming. God's holiness is as such that it consumes everything that is not holy, everything that does not belong in his presence. It's a little like bleach, right? If I have something, I don't, you know, if I have a mess and I pour bleach on it, bleach kills everything living in that mess. It consumes everything that does not belong there, and it makes it white, right? Um, if you breathe it in, it burns your lungs, right? Um, if you pour it on your skin straight away, it will burn your skin. Like bleach is a consuming substance. It's a base? I don't know. Anyway, um, God's holiness is a consuming fire. And so when folks would enter into God's presence, not holy, not acceptable, that fire would consume. And it is only by Christ that we're made acceptable. Um, actually, this word is also used in the book of Daniel. Right? Everybody knows the story? Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Benny? Or Rakshak and Benny. That's right. Um, where they are unwilling to bow down to the, the big golden statue of, of Nebuchadnezzar's God. And Nebuchadnezzar says, all right, well, throw them in this kiln that we use to make the bricks, to make the base for our statue. So toss them in there. And so they toss them in there, and what happens? They're not consumed. And like, like the angel of the Lord, which is usually a reference to Christ, like shows up and is with them. And so they're not consumed by the fire because Christ is with them. Not because they're good, not because anything, but because God saved them. In the same way, David is saved, but his enemies are consumed by the blazing oven, um, by this fire. And all of us... The hope we have to not face God's judgment, which is what he's describing, is Christ. To be righteous like in Christ is to stand in his presence and to have this holiness that makes us acceptable to be in his presence. It, it protects us by making us you know, creatures of holiness. Um, you will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they divide devise mischief they will not succeed 
meaning all those who rebel against God, all those who turn against him. In this case, he's talking about the enemies of David. But in the bigger picture, he's talking about the enemies of God. People who come against God will fall into judgment. Folks who think, oh, I'll do this stuff in secret and God won't see and won't care, they'll come into judgment. Um, Because you cannot trick God. Um, This blazing oven metaphor is often used by Christ as well of the judgment. Um, Like where the, the weeds and the wheat, where they throw the weeds in the fire and the wheat is kept. You know, and, and like over and over again, the scriptures warns about comes, coming into God's presence um, without the holiness of Christ, without like being prepared as his enemies because it consumes us. Um, and this is what is going on here. And so we start off with um, God saves me from my enemies. And now it's God's enemies are consumed by his holiness. For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Now watch this. In the original context, this is about a battle, okay? There is this battle that is about to happen. And he's talking about needing to be saved in this battle, but who's doing the fighting? You will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. So God himself will pick up his bow, aim, and fire. Is that David fighting? Nope. That's God fighting on his behalf. This is part of the reason I don't accept the victory thing, because this is salvation, not victory. Um, when I face down my sin and my temptation and my desire to, to be, you know, to be horrible, um, which is always there in all of us, like our sinful nature is there, and we can put it to death every day, which is what we're called to do. Um, when I face that down, it's only Christ that saves me. It's only Christ that saves me from the judgment I deserve. It's only Christ that saves me from my past and from the record of sin that I have accumulated against me. It's only Christ who steps up and fights on my behalf. I cannot win a victory on my own. Only Christ can win it for me. In this case, David is saying, I can't beat this enemy, but God, you can go and fight for me. And there are instances of this all over the Bible. Like Gideon, y'all know this story, right? Where Gideon goes with like 200 guys. Uh, He actually had several thousand. And God's like, all right, we'll send most of them home. We're going to have these 200. And they go and they have torches and horns. And somehow the enemy army kills itself. Like they, they literally panic and attack each other until like, you know, they're so disorganized that the 200 guys can conquer them. That's because Gideon had a great plan, right? Nope. His plan is nonsense. His plan is let's blow horns at them and have torches. Like that doesn't win battles, not against disciplined armies. In reality, it is God that wins the victory for them. You know, or, or marching around the city of Jericho. It's not a good plan. Blowing horns and everything else for a week, not a good plan. Um, But God wins the victory for him because he takes down the walls and hands it over. God wins on behalf of man over and over and over again. And then he demonstrates the truth of it at the cross again. Because my strength will always be insufficient. But God's strength is more than enough. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. By the way, strength is where the passage began. Strength is the last verse. So verse 1 is about God's strength and rejoicing. And the last verse is, um, bookends it, right, and says, um, O 
Lord, in your strength, we will sing and praise your power. Um, Meaning that like in that time, in that moment, like a victory, knowing that I am saved, knowing that I receive salvation, not knowing that I have gone out and won this battle on my own, not thinking, oh, well, I have gone out and, and done everything I could and God, you know, God stood by while I won a victory. Like, like that's not what happens. I'm delivered because Christ died for me. I'm delivered because God wins on my behalf. What does that have to do with the Psalms around it? Okay, watch this. We're going to jump into Psalm 22. I'm going to use the dreaded NIV, which I usually use, actually. Um, But follow me here. We go from um, Psalm 20, which is um, God rescue our king. Psalm 21, which is the king saying, God rescue me. And so it's help us achieve victory. Oh, I'm celebrating that I have achieved victory. And then Psalm 22, how many of y'all know this one already? Perhaps you know the first line. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Perhaps you know that one because this is the psalm that Christ quotes from the cross. Eloi, Eloi, lami sabachthani. I pronounced it very wrong, but David's not here, or John's not here to tell me I said it wrong, so we'll all pretend I did. Um, This passage is actually like, like this psalm is Christ on the cross, but it's part of the royal psalms, and it is in sequence. And so what's happening is... We get a psalm where we're, we ask for salvation, a psalm where we rejoice in the salvation that God wins on our behalf, and then Psalm 22, which is a royal psalm, but it's a lament, where we hear, why have you forsaken me, God, when Christ himself fought on our behalf, or Christ himself was nailed to the cross and received the fullness of God's wrath and was punished on our behalf, um, where Christ himself, like, like, Um, what is it? I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax and it is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot shared and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Christ went to the cross and won a victory for us. We're all hiding in the camp and Christ faces down Goliath on our behalf. We celebrate that Christ won our salvation. Next week, we're going to talk about what Christ carried for us on the cross. We're going to talk about this psalm where it points forward to Jesus died for you, and he died for me. He died for my enemies, and he died for people who didn't deserve it. And he died for people who are wicked and people who are self-centered and and for humanity. The victory that we celebrate in Psalm 21 is the victory that he wins for us in Psalm 22. I'm going to close in prayer. My challenge for you this week is to ask, like, who's fighting for you? Are you doing it? Carrying the weight yourself? Achieving your righteousness by being better than that guy over there? Achieving your righteousness by showing up and checking your boxes or having a great history of following Christ, but like living in a different place now, achieving your victory through a veneer of faithfulness when in reality, like 
the stuff that happens behind closed doors isn't really in harmony with that? If your heart doesn't match your words, faith in Christ is all that is required to change your heart again. Confess, repent, and follow Jesus. And victory is assured. I'm going to close in prayer and I'll let you go. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for Christ who died for me. I thank you for the people who came before me um, in this great nation and died for me. Um, I, I thank you for, for um, the salvation I have in Christ. I thank you for the freedom that I have in Christ. And I thank you for the many gifts that, that you've given me because, because Christ has won a victory. Christ has won salvation on my behalf. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good week.